0: Good morning. Well, it's very nice to see all of you. I've missed you these past four weeks. Um, Five cases of COVID was not very fun, Um, but uh, very grateful for all the men who serve us faithfully by opening up the Bible and telling us about Jesus these past weeks. And let's do that right now. So uh, if you have a Bible, please open it up and join me in Matthew 28. If you don't have one, Raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. You can feel free to use it. Uh, We would love for you to keep it. If you don't have one, you can keep it and give it away to somebody else. Read Matthew with them, whatever you want. Well, while you're turning to Matthew 28, just by way of orientation, this morning is the last message in an 18-part series that we've been in called "Ecclesia: Features of a Faithful Church. Across these 18 weeks, we have worked together in the Bible to see uh, the doctrine of the local church. One of the things that I've mentioned many times is that the doctrine of the church is one of the least studied and most assumed doctrines of the last 200 years. And so one of our aims is to think well and wisely about what Jesus says in his Bible about what it means to be us. And so 18 weeks might sound like a lot, but we've barely scratched the surface of our ecclesiology. That word ecclesia means church. But you can see from the subtitle, Features of a Faithful Church, we have uh, seen and learned that there can be true churches and false churches. A true church has the gospel. A false church does not have the gospel. But churches that have the gospel can exist on a spectrum of health. For example, Revelation 2 and 3 Jesus has commendations, good things to say to those seven churches, but he also has corrections. He says, you need to correct these errors, and if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand. So what we want as a church family is to understand what Christ requires and then wisely apply it by his grace and seek his fruitfulness through our faithfulness. Well, so this 18th message... The sub-subtitle is Faithful Churches Are Faithful to Jesus' Mission. We're taking these previous 17 weeks and condensing them into this Matthew 28 passage about what our work is in this world as a church. And so if you haven't joined me there yet, please join me in Matthew 28. I'm going to read verses 16 to 20 to establish context. Our focus this morning is those last three verses, 18 to 20. Scripture reads Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Let's look to him in prayer. Lord, we hear your words here on the pages of Scripture this command that you've given, this great commission to go and to make disciples. Lord, we want to understand and wisely apply what your word says. We want to understand how your words here help us be faithful to you. And Lord, in being faithful, our desire is that you would make us fruitful, conforming us more into the image of of you, Lord Jesus, by your spirit and more. So Lord, as we we look to you, would you please, by your grace, accomplish your gospel purposes in us and through us? To that image you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's people said, amen. I want to introduce you to a fictitious missionary couple, Peter and Anna. Peter and Anna love their church. Um, it's a healthy church, faithful to the scriptures, full of imperfect people who love each other well, despite all their differences. There's faithful preaching. And over the course of being in this really fertile soil of a good, faithful, healthy church, Peter and Anna desire to devote their lives to an unreached people group. Now, over the years, by being discipled, Peter is elder qualified, and and Anna is qualified as a deaconess. They've intentionally been trained by this local church family and discipled to the end of going to where Christ is not named. And the church has helped them become competent, by God's grace, to go over there and to be able to replicate there what they've experienced here. They intend to live out their lives in this foreign land And so the church, in faithfulness to Jesus, sends them out and supports them financially, supports them with material goods, and even sends out over the years uh, different missions teams to join them in their evangelistic efforts. Well, a few years of rocky soil, one day in the marketplace, a brief, unexpected gospel conversation leads to an invitation by a local merchant to come to his house, and they want to hear more about this Jesus. And this gospel. And so the merchant and his wife and their daughter are there. A few weeks later, the merchant invites his cousin and, and his cousin's wife. And they are added to these dinners. And so sometime later, after spending much time opening the Bible and simply reading it. And Peter and Anna and Peter explaining it to them and more. After much time of learning about the gospel of Jesus, God the Son incarnate living a perfect life and dying on the cross for our sins, raising from the grave, ascending into heaven, learning about the gospel across the Bible, the merchant, his wife, their daughter, the cousin and his wife, those five all repented and received Jesus. Now here's the question. Now what? Now what? Have Peter and Anna exhausted the extent of what Jesus just told us and them in Matthew 28. They are converted. They are regenerate. They're new creation in Christ. They're born again by all accounts. Have they completed their missionary task? And should Peter and Anna move on to a new place? What does Jesus expect of these brand new believers, if anything? Does Jesus expect anything? ...of these newly saved families? Does Jesus have instructions for Peter and Anna... ...of what they're supposed to do with these new believers? That is what we're looking at this morning... ...here in Matthew 28. If you're taking notes, here's the big idea. The big idea of the message this morning is this. Faithful local churches... ...that's what we're prayerfully trying to be. Faithful local churches are faithful to Jesus' mission... By starting and or strengthening faithful local churches. That's why you heard me use that word replication a few moments ago. The big idea is that our task from Jesus is to be on Jesus' mission and to start other or strengthen other faithful local churches. Notice that end or strengthening faithful local churches. That's a big junk drawer term Of many endeavors that we can engage in, Bible colleges, um, translation work, and more. But all work under the umbrella of mission is to a singular end. The planting and establishing of faithful local churches. That is the end to which all missions works. And so if you're taking notes, our outline comes in three parts. Follows the flow of Jesus' words. Uh, Point number one. Faithful churches are faithful to Jesus. That's verse 18. Point number two this morning. Faithful churches are faithful to Jesus' mission. And that's verses 19 and the beginning of 20. And then that's our longest point. And we close out briefly with point number three. Jesus is faithful to faithful churches. That's the end of verse 20. My prayer this morning for this message that God would use his word among us to raise up future missionaries who we will send across the seas and raise every single one of us up to go across the street and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's jump right in. Point number one, faithful churches are faithful to Jesus. Look again with me at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth Has been given to me, therefore go. Now, stop there. Let's remember where we are. Jesus has spent his ministry making disciples by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We read that across chapter 1 through chapter 26 of the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 27, Jesus was crucified for our sins, atoning for them. He was buried. And here, if you look up at the beginning of chapter 28, it's the resurrection. Jesus did not stay dead. The Father accepted his sacrifice. He atoned for our sins. He, by faith in him, our guilt is removed as far as the east is from the west because Jesus suffered and died in our place. And now, at the end of chapter 28, right before he ascends into heaven, bodily, to take the throne of the universe, Jesus gives what we historically call the Great Commission. These final three verses in the Gospel of Matthew. The Great Commission is usually confined to verse 19 in the beginning of verse 20, and verse 18 and the end of verse 20 kind of get lopped off or cut out. That's not okay, because the preamble to the Great Commission in verse 18 is often overlooked. We need to look at it, because what Jesus says here is integral to us being a faithful church on mission. Look again at his words, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. What Jesus is declaring in this moment is that God the Father has given to God the Son Incarnate, crucified and risen, all power in the universe, all jurisdiction in all creation. Jesus has been given all the might, all the right to govern and rule all creation, and all creation is accountable to Christ. Jesus, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, has all authority over the nearest quark and the most distant quasar. The leaves on the trees outside this building, the bugs moving on those trees, the sap coursing through the veins of those leaves, Jesus controls them all. Jesus commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Jesus feeds the young lions, And he causes the deer to give birth. Jesus tells the lightning where to strike and Jesus' voice strips the forests bare. He rules over all the angelic realm, both good angels and bad angels, right now. And Jesus, because he has all authority, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus rules over every human heart to ever exist, and that is His divine right. Every heart will give an account to Christ, whether poor or rich, male or female, young or old. Every president, prime minister, king, queen, prince, parliament, and city council member will bow the knee before Jesus Christ and give an account on how they used the authority He gave them to rule everything and everyone is jesus's everything and everyone will bow to his will philippians 2 everything and everyone will answer to him and give an account all authority in heaven and earth belongs exclusively to jesus christ and any other authority in all creation is gifted and delegated by jesus to that person who stewards that authority. And they'll give it an account. As Lord over all. Jesus is using his sovereign authority. In this broken, cursed and sin infested world. Jesus is using his sovereign authority. To work all things for good for those who love him. Even working evil for good for his people. And he is also. Romans 1 and 2. Preparing judgment for those who refuse the gospel. Suppress the truth and rebel against his word and live lives indifferent and happy to disobey him not caring what he says Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and so when Jesus then in Matthew 28 authorizes us with his authority to carry out his mission his mission cannot will not Ever fail. The success of the Great Commission is guaranteed by Christ precisely because he possesses all authority and rules over every human heart. Indeed, all the elect will most assuredly be saved. And the gates of hell, if you haven't forgotten Matthew 16, will not prevail against the church because the church is going to tear them down and see those in the clutches of Satan and those who are dead spiritually come to life spiritually in Christ. The Great Commission is Christ's. He owns it and it will have a 100% success rate for what he intends to accomplish. Christian, be encouraged. Every time we open our mouths to share the love of Jesus Christ. Someone could believe it the first time. It may take a thousand times. You may have to die before they believe. But understand that Jesus saves. And he saves his people for whom he died. It also means then that this mission is not only guaranteed. This mission is not ours to change. It's Christ's. It's his. And he is telling us what to do. The Great Commission is not ours to innovate, it's not ours to adjust, it's not ours to tinker with or alter, it's ours to obey. And faithfulness to the mission is therefore faithfulness to Christ. And so we, in our pursuit together as a church family, wanting to be a a faithful church, a feature of being a faithful church is being faithful to Christ's mission. But these beginning words, that all authority belongs to Jesus, it's this truth that, that gave unshakable confidence to our missionary friends, Peter and Anna. It's why they could sell their possessions, go to rocky soil, go to an unreached people group, move across the world, leave family and friends, and this same truth is the gospel truth that empowers us. Jesus has all authority. The only thing that we can have in Christ is confidence and hope. Even in the face of persecution, even in the face of when it looks like the gates of hell are prevailing, they aren't in the grand scheme of things. Jesus is accomplishing his purposes. And so... We also, together as a church family, individually and corporately, have the same unshakable confidence as we travel. Maybe not across the seas, but to our coworker, or to our new classroom or more. Jesus has all authority. And that then leads us to the second point and longest one. Because we're faithful to Christ, point number two, faithful churches are faithful to Jesus' mission. So... This authority that he has, he's told us to do something. What is it? Look at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, 18 months ago, I spent together, we together spent three sermons. On these verses. And so my aim is not just to repeat that message. But through the lens of this Ecclesia series. To understand what do these words here contribute to us being faithful and faithful in our mission. And so if you look at these words here in Matthew 28. Jesus calls all his disciples to go. And in the going to proclaim what Jesus has performed. We declare what Jesus did and accomplished. Now, one thing that bears repeating, if you look at these verses and you look at these words, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, that's linguistic, ethnic, and political boundaries and and barriers that are crossed, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. There's a singular command in this passage, the way the grammar works. There's one command that Jesus is giving, and everything else that he says that we're supposed to do modifies that one command. What do I mean? The command in this passage is, make disciples. And those action words of, as you go, baptize and teach to obey, go baptize and teach, uh, modify. They explain what it means to make disciples. Well, how do you make a disciple of Jesus? First you go and evangelize. And if they believe the gospel, you baptize. And after they're baptized, you teach them to observe, put into practice, all that Jesus says. But the big idea here is that the Father sent the Son. Jesus had a mission. God the Son became incarnate. Then Jesus rose. And now the Father and Son sent the Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2. And now the Trinity sends us in Matthew 28. But here as we get to the crux of the matter. This passage, because it is so famous and so common and so often looked at, you know how that familiarity can often breed blindness to the details of a passage. And what can happen is that this passage can be taken out of the context in which it lives and almost be made to take on a new meaning, which it doesn't mean. And so what can happen often is that this passage is reduced to conversionism. What what am I talking about? Well, Jesus clearly says, go and make disciples. So he, he wants to see people converted. Uh, that's 100% true. He wants people to hear the good news and repent of their sins and confess that Jesus is the risen Lord. But what can happen in the realm of missions and in the practices of churches is that we take this passage in isolated, and, in isolation and simply reduce it to this. We just need to get people to repent of their sins and just need people to... Confess that Jesus is the risen Lord, and that's it. Everything else is secondary, less important. So long as we do the first conversion part, if we get to the secondary and tertiary issues, that's good, but it's not critical or essential to the mission. And I want to ask, what's wrong with that picture? Well, Jesus doesn't call us to make converts, he calls us to make disciples who are taught everything Jesus says and how to obey those, which includes doing Matthew 28 and replicating. But what's wrong with the picture that I painted, which is not uncommon, is what's missing from the picture that I painted. Did you catch it? Here's the hint. It's the Greek word that's the title of this series. Ecclesia means church. What often happens is, is that the local church is made secondary to missionary efforts to make disciples. And I'm arguing from Scripture, that's wrong. Instead, that the local church is essential and critical and is Jesus' plan A with no plan B for his purposes in the world. Let me explain and defend why I can say that. What I'm saying is that Jesus here is teaching us how to build local churches. And every word is dripping with ecclesiology. Let me explain. When Jesus says, teach them to observe all I have commanded, here in Matthew 28, have you ever stopped to pause and consider the context of the Gospel of Matthew? When the Gospel of Matthew says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded, most immediately that means the previous 27 chapters. 100% it means the whole Bible. 100% it means the whole New Testament. Absolutely. But in the context of the Gospel of Matthew, when someone hears the Gospel, repents and believes, Jesus is saying here, now teach them to understand and apply the previous 27 chapters. And that's where it ties into this series. So for example, way back when, we spent six weeks looking at... The keys of the kingdom, which Jesus introduced to us in chapters 16 and 18 of the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus told us in Matthew 16, as he came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, that he was now building something. His ecclesia, his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And then Peter makes the great confession, and Jesus says, you're right, that's the gospel. Here's the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Peter and local church, you have the job to loosen, to bind. So in chapter 16, Jesus' teaching implied that each local church is responsible to vet and affirm professions of faith. Jesus did it with Peter. Peter did it in Acts 2 with his preaching of the gospel and then those keys were put into the hands of every local church, and every local church is responsible to vet and affirm professions of faith. That is, the person is confessing the right Jesus, the right gospel, that they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And we are responsible as a family, all of us, to open the doors to the kingdom of heaven and let them into the membership of the church. In other words, when Jesus says in 2820, Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That includes teaching them everything about Matthew 16. And then in Matthew 18, we saw that Jesus requires the whole local church to exercise church discipline or excommunication to use the keys to bind and loose that we have to remove somebody from our church, from the Lord's table and membership if their gospel confession turns false, or they willfully live unrepentant lives that are out of step with the gospel, Jesus' disciples, who were recently saved in Matthew 28, because of verse 20, need to be taught chapter 18. And then we also teach them chapter 26. We haven't looked at chapter 26. We looked at it in different ways. But in chapter 26, you know what Jesus does? He institutes the Lord's Supper and inaugurates the New Covenant. In chapter 26, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, body and blood, as a sign of the New Covenant, symbol of our mutual affirmation and ongoing membership in each other's lives, the Gospel of the New Covenant. Jesus' disciples need to, taught, need to be taught to observe Matthew 26. And then we get to our text at hand. Part of Matthew 28 And teaching them to observe all that Jesus has said is to teach them Matthew 28. That they're on mission as well. So Jesus' great commission of Matthew 28 tells us to go, therefore. Right? Well, when we go, what do we go with? We go with Peter's confession from Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? Many weeks ago. So when we're preaching the gospel, we're preaching Matthew 16, We are declaring who Jesus is. And when someone says, yes, I believe that's the true Jesus. I turn from my sins and turn to Jesus. Well, Matthew 16 tells us that we welcome them into the family. And we welcome them into the family. What are we supposed to do? We do Matthew 28. So go preach. Go do Matthew 16. Go preach who Jesus is. Someone believes. What did Matthew 28 tell us to do next? Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize. So we baptize them in the name of the Trinity. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as their public identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus and their membership and participation with us in the New Covenant. But is that it? it is the extent of what we teach disciples as we preach the Matthew 16 gospel and then we have uh, we baptize them according to Matthew 28 and then we do the Lord's Supper together according to we, we, we Matthew 26 them. We don't just baptize people and these new sheep we turn out into the fields to be eaten by wolves. We bring them into the sheep fold, the local church, and we start Matthew 26 them, which again is the Lord's Supper. That we assemble together because Jesus is building his church with Matthew 16. We bring them in and as a church we have the Lord's Supper together. Remember when we lift cracker, when you see, a little bit later in the service, people lift cracker and cup to their lips, we are showing to each other that we are still members of Christ and one another in good standing, that we're not excommuned, but that we are in partnership together. We teach these disciples also about our shared responsibility of excommunication and church discipline. We teach them Matthew 18. So here's the point. To make a Matthew 28 disciple who we teach to obey means that we teach them to obey Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 and Matthew 26 and Matthew 28. That's how context and interpretation works. So what Jesus is doing is not an isolated, just go out and make disciples who just confess Jesus but are not related to each other and that the church is secondary. No, what we're seeing here is that Jesus's great commission is a summary blueprint of how to build a faithful church according to the gospel of Matthew. Missions is faithful church building. That means that you and I share a responsibility together in our understanding of missions. Now remember, way back in the beginning, the definition of the Great Commission I gave was to plant and or strengthen faithful churches. And that end or strengthen is a a big junk drawer term of many different activities we can do. But the point is, the Great Commission here, the church is not secondary. It is essential and central to what Jesus is doing. Matthew 16, I'll build my church How are you going to do that, Jesus? Through Matthew 28. That's how he does it. If we were to use, for example, only the Gospel of Matthew, and we're still thinking about that phrase, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, we know that that involves teaching the whole Bible, but oftentimes it's reduced to a 10-week class on the attributes of God, and that's it. But here what we're seeing, teaching them to observe, for example, if we only use the gospel of Matthew, let me point out eight things that we are responsible to teach new disciples, and any missionaries that we send out are responsible to teach new disciples. Look at these eight things that we learn just from the gospel of Matthew, teaching them to obey. For example, number one, we teach the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We saw it right there in the baptismal formula. That's something that we teach new converts. Or or the next point, that Jesus, the Messiah, is God the Son incarnate, crucified for our sins, and risen victoriously from the grave. That's Matthew 16. That's Matthew 28. Or we also teach them point number three, that Jesus' singular aim, this is Matthew 16, is to build his church with the gospel. The gospel is not just about conversion. The gospel is about sanctification. The gospel is designed to both make and shape disciples of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not for unbelievers, but we believers don't need it. The gospel is for all of life. And so this third point is Jesus says that he will build his church with Peter's gospel confession... That means that every disciple confesses this gospel, and we are built into his church. It's what Jesus teaches. We're vitally committed and submitted to a local church. Or also from Matthew, as we teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, the fourth point. Jesus' local churches are authorized by Jesus. It's our responsibility from him to exercise the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing every single profession of faith it's our shared responsibility or number five the local church's responsibility to baptize baptize every new believer welcome them into the family to be mutually responsible for each other that's obeying Matthew 28 or number six the local church's responsibility to welcome one another to the Lord's table that's Matthew 26 That we institute the Lord's Supper and participate in it regularly. Or seven, the seventh thing we learn from the Gospel of Matthew, the local church's responsibility to remove from the Lord's table and membership of the church those who refuse to repent of sin. That's Matthew 18. And finally, number eight, we also learn every disciple's responsibility to live out the Great Commission with their local church. That might seem like a lot, That's barely scratching the surface, but when Jesus says, teach them to observe all I've commanded you, I went back and just skimmed through the Gospel of Matthew, here's the things that Jesus wants all disciples to know. He wants you to be very confident in your understanding of what he means when he puts the keys of the kingdom in our hands together, and more. This is just a sample. There's a whole New Testament to still go through. But these core truths are what every missionary, hear me on this, every Christian, Jesus expects to be able to export these truths. This isn't seminary ivory tower stuff. This is Monday morning devotions working through the Gospel of Matthew. This is what we as a church family are to export with our missionaries and also import as we add new disciples to our church family so that they can have this gospel accent, this gospel language to explain these things. So to be faithful to Jesus' mission is to make obedient, baptized disciples and either start new faithful churches or help strengthen other faithful churches. Some of you, by God's grace, need to be trained up and sent out by this church to those who've never heard about Jesus. Some of you maybe need to be trained up and join missionary efforts that we have already going on in other countries. And some of you need to stay exactly where you are to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, a representative of Him to make disciples in your exact context, wherever you are. The missionaries that we send out, and those of us that stay, we need to be like cellular division. We need to be able to replicate ourselves into faithfulness. Remember our missionaries, the beginning, Peter and Anna? Let's go back to them. Let's see if we can take these truths that we're hearing from the Bible, but, but put it into practice how it might work with them. You, you may recall at the beginning how I mentioned that they were emboldened That Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth. So they went because they knew the mission would be accomplished. But we saw how they had, they saw five converts, those two families, right? The merchant, wife and daughter, and the cousin and his wife. But they got converted, they confessed the gospel and believed. But we left them at the beginning of the message. Now what? So let's answer that question. Let's apply just the gospel of Matthew to these missionaries and these brand-new converts that they have? Well, the missionary couple, Peter and Anna, they see that there is genuine, lasting fruit in keeping with repentance in these families. In fact, one of the shrines in their homes was destroyed in honor of Christ. The missionary couple sees repentance, and so Peter, the missionary, soon baptizes them, the five of them, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, Why did he do that? He's obeying Jesus in Matthew 28. But that was a special day. There was no church. There's no believers in this village. So Peter baptizes them. And afterwards, they go back home and they do something unique. Peter then leads his and the other two families, these three families, to covenant together affirming each other's faith and vowing to be responsible in the Lord for one another. It was fairly informal. It was a conversation in the living room, but they were verbally committing to each other. In fact, they agreed to adopt a a simple statement of faith that summarizes their shared beliefs about Jesus and about the Bible. And they affirmed each other as followers of Christ and by a unanimous show of hands, they voted to set Peter, the missionary, apart as their pastor-elder. And so they were baptized, they covenanted together, believers covenanted, and then to celebrate the birth of this brand-new church, they obeyed Matthew 26. They had the Lord's Supper. They sat together and they broke bread, uh, emblematic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for their sins, his resurrection from the grave, And they did this for the first time now as a brand new church. On that day, in obedience to the gospel of Matthew, the obedience of Matthew 28, the Matthew 16 gospel they believed, they did Matthew 26, a new church was born. They were holding the keys of the kingdom And even as informally as it was, as hearing their testimonies and listening to each other, they affirmed each other. They verbally shook hands and said, we agree on who Jesus is, what the Bible teaches. We are a family in Christ. That, by the way, is how new churches are planted in the United States as well. That's how churches start. They exercise the keys of the kingdom. But let's have this story continue. A few weeks later, the cousin, remember him? He brings a man to the meeting that he had met in the market. And this man claimed to be a Christian. And he wanted to join their church. Well, what do they do? Do they welcome him in right there and say, sign on the dotted line, join us? After conversation, they, they want to know, who is this man? Tell us your testimony. How did you hear about Jesus? How did you come to faith in him? Tell us about Tell us about the Lord. And the man goes on to explain that um, Jesus is a created being. Jesus is not the eternal son of God. He He says that Jesus is the brother of Satan. And on he goes, and he's adamant about that. And what they realize is they're talking to a Jehovah's Witness. They recognize that this man claims to be a Christian, claims to have the gospel, but can you spot the problem? This visitor is not confessing Matthew 16. He's not confessing the Jesus of the Bible. he's confessing a fictitious Jesus. He has a false Jesus and a false gospel. and so the question is, what is this church responsible to do? Well, they open their Bibles and they go to Matthew 16, and they begin to start talking through the Gospel of Matthew about who Jesus is. They show them how the Jehovah's Witness sneaked in and changed John 1:1 and more in their Bibles. But this man is adamant he will not change his understanding of Jesus. So what do they do? Do they invite him to be on the worship team? You know that they don't. Do they put him on the roster and say covenant with us? They can't. It's a different Jesus. Everything is different. It's a different gospel. They cannot bring this man in. They can love him by sharing the truth to him. But what are they supposed to do? They're responsible to exercise the keys and keep him bound in his sin. Now, they don't save, they don't forgive. Jesus does that. We recognize what Jesus has done through someone's profession of faith. So what they do is they come and they listen. They invite him to be a visitor, but he remains an outsider because he's not in Christ. He can come to their services, he can hear the Bible preached, but he cannot be part of the family because he is not part of the family. That church's responsibility is to guard the fence of their church family to make sure that false professions don't come in. Well, on our story goes. The cousin, his wife, she disagreed with this. She didn't like this decision, and she grows distant, and she finds excuses not to assemble together anymore with the church. They're reaching out to her, But she starts spreading rumors about Anna. Remember her, the missionary's wife? Because she's also a missionary. So this wife starts spreading rumors and slander about Anna. And it sows distrust in the merchant's wife and the daughter. Like water seeping into a rock and freezing overnight and cracking it and splitting it apart. She is causing division in the body. The word gets out, the church confronts her, truth comes to light. She's confronted over her lies and slander about Anna, her lack of attendance, and she refuses to repent of her sin. She stops coming altogether, she won't return calls or texts, and she functionally disappears. What do they do? This is a woman who had covenanted with them, agreed with them, They affirmed her baptism. They had been going to the Lord's table together. What is this church responsible from Jesus to do? Well, the whole process is a rescue mission. It goes on for months. The rest of the little church is lovingly, tearfully, prayerfully pursuing her, pursuing the cousin's wife, because instead she becomes more entrenched, distant, and hard-hearted. So what do they finally have to do to obey and please Jesus? They need to obey what Jesus says in Matthew 18. They need to exercise the keys of the kingdom and excommune, remove her from the fellowship of the church because she refuses to repent. She's broken her vows, broken her covenant. The church says, that gospel that you proclaimed at your baptism, everything in your life contradicts it. Can you see that? And she refuses to then the church says, we have to remove our affirmation that we gave you of your gospel profession because of how you're living. That's what they're resp- So when the Bible says, teach them to observe all I've commanded you, to be a disciple of Jesus includes doing Matthew 18 as needed. And so they remove her from the church. She's welcome to come and hear the gospel preached, but she is no longer considered a family member with them. Now it's good news, praise God, two years later she did repent and she was joyfully welcomed back into the fellowship of the church. And finally, fast forward a number of years, the church has labored, there's been struggles, ups and downs. But now a number of years later, the church has grown in health. These new converts understand how to be disciples of Jesus. They're in the middle of their sanctification, struggling with sin. They love Jesus, they love each other, they forgive each other and more. The church has grown to about 30 members, and it's grown because they have continued to obey the Great Commission. They share their love of Jesus and pro- proclaim his gospel, and they've made these disciples in the village. Well, over time, a new, a godly couple who was recently converted, they desire to move over the range to the next village. And so, what's the church supposed to do? Obey Matthew 28. The church affirms this couple, sends them over the mountains to the next village, supports their work financially and materially. They even go over with them to visit them and care for them and help them and engage in their evangelistic efforts. And they seek to plant and replicate their healthy church over the range in the new range. And within a few years, a sister church is born. Now, That illustration is simply walking through some people who were in a healthy church early in their walk, called by Jesus to go overseas, and it was simply living out the faithfulness of what just in the Gospel of Matthew teaches. That every disciple is responsible to know these things and more. This story illustrates that according to the Gospel of Matthew, To make disciples is ultimately to make churches. The Bible knows of no such thing as so-called disciples who are not living vitally connected to a local church. There's exceptions. You could have a convert in a refugee camp and she's all by herself. We need to pray for her and pray for God to do his work. But all things being equal, for a Christian to claim to be a disciple but not be in a position to hold the keys of the kingdom... Matthew 16 and 18, with the local church, is not walking in the fullness of obedience of what Jesus says. And so Matthew 28 missions is simply healthy church replication. You can write that right next to that heading in your Bible. The Great Commission is nothing less than healthy church replication. And this leads us to the third and final very brief point. If we're faithful to these things, point number three at the end of verse 20 Jesus is faithful to faithful churches. Look at these final words. Consider how these words bookend the Great Commission. Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He begins by saying, All authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, gives the mission, and then bookends it by saying, And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. You see, this series, the resounding emphasis has, uh, has been our text today in this series has been our responsibility to be faithful to God's word. Faithfulness is our part to joyfully obey and wisely apply the Bible to all of our life. We can't force God's blessing, we can't manufacture God's work. This is His to give as He sees fit. And yet, The fruitfulness that God produces is normally tied to our faithfulness. So we don't obey to earn God's favor. We obey because we have God's God's favor in Christ already. And obedience has built in blessing to it. Because when we obey, it pleases the Savior. And it's how life is designed to work best by Him. And this is why Jesus' closing words are so glorious here. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Echoing Matthew 18, where Jesus says that he'd be present wherever two or three are gathered in his name. Once again, now he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here, Jesus promises that he will be present. So he doesn't send us on a mission and he distantly sits far off from us. No, as God the Son, he is ever present with us. Jesus is working in us and through us and with us to accomplish the mission the Father gave him. That means that our disciple-making efforts, or rather, Jesus' disciple-making efforts through us in his church, will accomplish his purposes. Jesus is faithful through us to his mission. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth has guaranteed the success of his mission, which means, brothers and sisters... That when we go out of these walls to make disciples and add to our church family, help people know and follow Jesus, send out and support missionaries across the, the world, praying for other churches, Jesus has stamped his approval and his authority when we walk in faithfulness. Namely, that all of our efforts are united to the singular end to make a faithful, healthy, local church and He will never leave us, and He will never forsake us. There is a unique presence of Christ in our disciple-making efforts. Christ's mission cannot fail, even in the face of persecution. Who knows? The Lord does. Where things are going in our nation with the freedoms that we have to gather. But even if things turn very bad, and we are in jail, That gospel is still as strong and sturdy as ever, and he's accomplishing his purposes to save. Now, you might be here this morning, and you're hearing this uh, family dialogue about what Jesus wants us to do. Friend, Jesus has brought you here this morning, if you don't know him, to hear what he wants you to do. And what Jesus wants you to do right now is to believe this good news. You can't save yourself You can't fix yourself. You can't clean yourself up. You might be able to do so in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of Christ, the eyes of the Lord, there's nothing you can do to save or fix or make yourself presentable in his eyes. And you know why that's good news? Because Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has, through his life, perfect life and obedience to God, In his death in our place, taking our sins upon himself and his resurrection from the grave proves that he is the Savior. And friend, you need saving. God's judgment is against you. And you will be condemned if you refuse this gospel. But there is a doorway open and Christ is reaching out to you now to save you so that you would believe this gospel. Won't you turn from your sins? Won't you believe this free grace gift? Join this family and hear more of Christ and grow in him. Friend, turn to Jesus and be saved. There is no other Savior. And brothers and sisters, the victory has been won. Jesus is not in the grave still. He's on the throne. We have to trustingly lean into that. You have not been brought home yet because Jesus has work for you to do regarding Matthew 28, with us together. The one with all authority is sending you and me together to see the lost saved, the prodigal return, the hurting healed and more through the simple, faithful, fruitful gospel ministry of us assembling and listening to sermons and singing songs and going to work and reading the Bible with a coworker and sharing the gospel with someone on the street and praying for your neighbors and having them at your house for dinner and more. It's just living lives, loving Jesus together to the end that we become more healthy and we see other healthy churches made and strengthened. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you for your grace, that your spirit and your word is ever active to accomplish your purposes. And yet you choose to use people like us. Lord, our love grows cold. We struggle with sin. We love you. We all of the things. But God You are accomplishing your purposes through us. Let us be found faithful, and oh Lord, bear that fruit. Jesus, build your church as you say that you will do, and let us see how marvelous it is that you are saving the lost, and that we are, through you, tearing down the gates of hell to save. We pray this in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.